are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the UK. I'm Mike Sullivan, I help connect businesses with tech talent, and today I'm your host. Welcome to the latest instalment of the Evolution Exchange UK podcast. Today, I'm joined by a great panel to discuss how do you continue to deliver while scaling the development team. Um, It's a pleasure to be with the three of you guys today. I'm sure it's going to be an interesting podcast considering the topic and and the calibre of people who are on this this podcast. Um, Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room. Um, I'd like to know who you are, what you do and what you're passionate about. And let's start with you, Alex. Hi, I'm Alex. I'm head of front end at Upside Technology. We're building a new type of fintech app to help people build a balanced portfolio of stocks. And uh, the main technologies we have are React Native, React Native Web as well, so we can target all three platforms, um, GraphQL, Go Microservices, and Kafka and AWS. I think those are the major ones. Um, outside of work, I also love playing the drums. Uh, that's about it. Perfect. Over to you, Rami. Yeah, hello, I'm Rami and working as a CTO in Nomainsome. Uh, we are a front-end um, kind of a company and uh, focused on user experience, accessibility and user research and developing solutions around those with, with tech. Uh, we have been around about 20 years and, and based in Bristol. Uh, personally, uh, I, I like to, you know, to code and and do stuff in, in technology in general and maybe occasionally surf and do that that kind of cool stuff. But yeah, thank you. Nice one, Rami. And and yourself, Taya. Hi, I'm uh, Tahir. I'm the CTO of uh, Trina London, a um, D 2 C uh, cosmetics brand. Um, we we've been around for about four years now in our journey. Um, my background is engineering um, across multiple different industries um, from banking to e-commerce um, and uh, my kind of personal life um, I, have, well, I have two daughters they keep me pretty busy but when i do find a bit of time um, it's it's either in the gym or it's uh, gaming so the the geek side of me is um, still an avid gamer <laughs> Perfect. So yeah, yeah, I've got a little daughter as well. She's one. She just learned the word no. So I think that's her favourite word at the moment. Um, yeah, so pleasure to meet you all. Now, now we've established a, con- a context to each of you. Let's move to the topic in focus. So we're all here as we've got an interest in the topic of how do you continue to deliver while scaling the development team? Um, we've got a couple of subtopics that we'd like to go through. And our first question is from yourself, Alex. So, so take it away. Sure. Um, my question is, which technologies in your stack do you think are instrumental in helping you deliver whilst scaling? Perfect. And Rami, do you want to kick things off? Sure, I'll try. So yeah, that's a very interesting question. So, so, so thank, thank you, Alex. So that's, uh, I think that there's many, uh, many technologies that we we currently use and they are kind of important in their own ways. There's not one one solution for for, for everything. I, I would say that the most important being the collaboration tools like, well, Teams, but also um, uh, tools like Jira 
for keeping up with the teams and providing that uh, kind of shared board, shared view of what we, what we are doing. And then that helps when we are scaling up the teams, for example, because it's easier to people to grasp that, that what's happening there. It's easier, easier to manage and so on. And then we'll also have, uh, there's also a few, few others, but going to the point, so what's instrumental? So then the instrumental part is about um, maybe having integration between those tools. So for example, in, in going from, for example, from the Jira to DevOps and having tools like uh, Terraform and GitLab to actually provide end-to-end uh, -end, uh, pipeline from, from the user requirements to all the way to the development, all the way to the delivery and handling and managing that with changing teams, changing, well, changing times and changing requirements. So I would say that the instrumental part would be in, in, in that GitLab part maybe. And then uh, when, when thinking about the developers, so well, the, the, we used many uh, development tools like Visual Studio and, and, and many others, but but uh, it's more of having kind of a bundle of those tools available for the for the developer, and so that is uh, mostly automated. And in parts where we can, it's also personalized, so that you can choose which one to use. Uh, for example, Visual Studio or Xcode or what fits best for for, for the for the person and so on. But anyways, that makes things manageable. And then, uh, well. That's all, all good and fine for the delivery, but uh, I would also say that uh, the HR plays a you know big role in, in in growing, and when we try to attract talent and 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 to make things efficient and have the teams actually delivering. So first of all, we'll need a good tool for that recruitment, and one of the kind of uh, pivotal tools or instrumental tools is workable for us because we do lots of recruiting and and then kind of managing. The, the workforce through that too. Yeah, I think there's lots of other things, but maybe over to you, Teher. Uh, sure, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, uh, I thought this was a, quite a good question as well, because um, for us being direct consumer um, and trying to be reactive to trends and behaviors um, and, and having the physical product as well adds, adds a little bit of uh, nuance to what we do. So one of the first things being consumer driven is what you buy, what you build? Like what's your USP? What do you want to control? What do you want to kind of have outsourced from not the right question um, answer, but yeah. So um, our technologies, obviously for the, the front end are very similar to you guys or so React. We, the, the site was, um, did have the services in Node. We are dabbling with Go actually, uh, especially for, our internal kind of more uh, backhand heavier compute heavy uh, processes. Um, it was a monolith and actually we're moving to a microservice architecture. I think one of the key things, like it, not just technology, but um, architectural decisions are quite important. So you, you want to be careful with microservices. It's great, but you don't want to do microservice to death. So actually um, being a 24 seven site and, and always front facing. You think about observability and you think about, well, actually, how do you, what's observable, like observability versus monitoring and what's the, the right level of trace IDs and, and um, how, how, how you build those single repositories and how you work out the single purposes for the microservices. Um, data layers as well, you know, we, we're doing a lot on the, the NoSQL side where 
we were both we're in GCP and um, AWS. Um, so actually, we, we like the the pipeline and the build capabilities and the uh, the the data modeling in GCP, but the the queuing, um, the site management um, in AWS. So that's kind of how we we split our estate. Um, I think looking at cloud-based solutions. So then uh, deciding what you buy. So, you know, um, like we have Jira, obviously um, uh, Git, you're, you're not gonna rebuild repository management, you know, unless you're Facebook or, or something of that nature. Um, and actually tooling's like the right CMS. Um, so uh, I think one of the key things about this is actually what's right for you now versus right for the future. And you need to build changing. So transformations never stop. You, you might stay with a tool, but normally you end up staying with a tool for more than three to five years because the tech debt is too heavy. So actually, um, uh, for me, it's it's how you build that orchestration layer at the beginning. It's really simple at the beginning because you're only doing one thing. And it's it's how you have that foresight to know how do I control the data model and the requirements, whether how you cache or how you how you have, a, have that middleware for your site or for your applications to the e-com system or to the CMS or whatever you have behind it. Um, and so the, we're, we're kind of on that journey. Um, and you know, we, we, have, we use commerce tools as our e-com platform. Again, the key thing for a lot of our tooling is to go headless. So almost all the third parties we, we do use, they're all headless applications. Um, our pipeline being, again, um, we, we do daily, releases almost now actually, or if not by daily. And so we separate the idea of a release versus a feature. So um, customer facing versus internal, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we use LaunchDarkly, uh, we use Cypress for our pipeline test automation, um, Circle CI for, uh, for the management across that, um, you know, Datadog for our um, tracing and uh, monitoring and Humio for the kind of um, uh, the interrogation of that uh, data and, um, uh, I, I think Data Warehouse, I mentioned that we were in BigQuery and we use Looker. And actually one of the key things again there was for us to be able to, to manage the modeling and to manage the transformations our own, but give the business a layer they can be autonomous with. So the to split out insights versus uh, business enablement. I think that's, that's a I've touched a lot of areas, happy to go into more detail on any of them, but uh, that's kind of probably a summary of, of how we've approached it. Great stuff. Yeah, thanks for the detailed answers there, guys. And, and I suppose back to you, Alex, which technology or technologies in your stack do you think are instrumental in helping you deliver while scaling? Sure. Thanks. Thanks, guys. That's great answers. I think my answer is going to be slightly different, which I think reflects the different businesses we will work for. So we're um, uh, raising our Series A now, so in a lot of I mean, we're in the app stores, but we have a lot of product evolution to happen as we figure out the exact product fit. So I was going to, I'm being more front-end focused engineer in my past as well. I, I, I love product and front-end stuff. And my, my two technologies are GraphQL, which has been, I think, instrumental for us in helping bridge uh, communication between back-end and front-end. We have a setup so any engineer can um, modify the GraphQL, which is in JavaScript and Apollo server, uh, which everyone can kind of do front-end or back-end. But also, more importantly, the model that GraphQL provides, I think, helps feed into the product. You can't, if the model is complicated, the ultimate product we're going to build is going to be too complicated. And it helps, it's a great meeting point to 
first figure out the feature we want and then discuss perhaps the model and then implement our respective sides. And that's been really great. And the new engineer can come in and look straight at the schema and understand the relationships between the objects, a, a trade, a, a portfolio in our case, um, and what's the, the fields inside them and how they relate. I think that's been really good. Um, as well as for speeding up development, you can kind of uh, request uh, the, the pros of GraphQL over REST, that you can request certain bits of the graph as opposed to a giant payload from REST, which is often ends up being very tightly coupled to the screen you're building and has a slower round trip to change design if you need different data. Uh, so GraphQL is my first answer. My second one is, again, a front-end answer. It's uh, Storybook. We use uh, we React Native and React Native Web. Storybook for us is at the moment just the web. We haven't really sorted out the native one yet. We're, that's on the cards. And that has really helped us in conjunction with the design system to explain to new engineers, back-end and front-end and product and other disciplines, uh, the components we have and how they fit together and how they work. And all, more importantly as well, just name them. This particular widget is called the portfolio chart or the um, whatever we call it. And then we can on the, talk in the same language. And when we're discussing a new screen or a new page, we can all uh, be on the same page with what's possible, what we have, how it works. And anyone can browse it. We, we deploy Storybook to production as well. So internally, anyone can just go see all our all our pages. We actually use something called MSW, which is a way of mocking the GraphQL queries. So Storybook uh, can map basically mount the whole app as it stands and we can uh, navigate within storybook to any page because all the graphql queries are mocked uh, to return uh, sensible mock data so you can see a fake portfolio again go to this screen and edit edit anything uh, so we kind of uh, spent quite a lot of time that, uh, in that so when we are um, talking about new features we can also go through the edge cases this particular portfolio what happens if there's no trades or if there's not enough money or and I think that's been really good to help um, focus everyone on the product features and the edge cases. Uh, it's been great. And I had other similar things around tooling and, and, and I think fast turnaround of PRs is, I think you both kind of touched on, but I think that's important as well. Being able to, not being scared to change stuff, uh, I think is really great through uh, yeah, automation as well as a nice culture around PR reviews. I think it's helpful not being scared to change anything. Thank, thank you, Alex. Rami, I understand you got the next question. Yes. So, yeah, thanks. So, uh, you know, uh, I would like to ask that how do we enable and maintain a great developer experience and the motivation in general while we grow fast? Um, cool. I, I, I think. We've we've learned from both doing this well and badly in <laughs> in my realm anyway, <laughs> and um, I think one of the things I'd start with is is the business understanding. So actually, tech growing at a faster pace to the business can cause its own issues, um, or from a tech team and silos. So as the business grows in the leadership team across the organization, be it 10 people, 20 people, even 100 people, there has to be a mind shift change first because you're atypically, while you're growing, you're doing a bit of everything and you are hands-on and you are you know, getting there in the code or, or as, a, as a marketeer, you're getting there in the campaigns um, as well as the strategy or, or what we do next. Now, the biggest the thing about getting really good people is giving them 
room to grow, room to fail, but ownership, right? Um, and so for me, it's this mind shift from becoming from a doer to an enabler. So I think that's the first thing. And, and you need to discuss how you're going to enable the roles you're hiring for. So you need to have a plan of onboarding, um, uh, like and onboarding, not just in the tech stack, but onboarding on the business identity. What are the goals you're trying to achieve? And again, and, and the other thing is what kind of roles you, you no longer are looking for a senior or a generalist or someone who's been there, done that. You, you, you need to have succession planning again, depending on what stage of growth, whether it's one people, five people, teams, um, you know, everything from junior to senior to lead to if you're doing SEMs or if you're doing, um, uh, uh, uh like more senior engineering, uh, architecture, that kind of stuff. But then they've got to have a career path. You've got to understand where, what's your answer going to be of how they're going to grow. Because you get them through the door, but to keep good talent past even the six months these days, not even till the end of the year, right? Literally the, the six months when they're confident, you need to have an understanding of what's next, how you're going to grow. And um, and I think then that's that's where the training as well like and training no longer is i'll send you on a course or a week or here it's it's how do you stay um, in touch with the field it's what are the events whether it's agile on the beach that you're interested in whether it's um going to forums whether it's creating your own forums tech blogs there's there's, there's so many so many things out there and it's not just about throwing money at that people um so i think when you've you've got those things and you you start like when you're small actually it sounds like a lot but you you start simple the key thing is you build that framework and structure that that it grows as people grow so you keep on adding to it rather than breaking knocking down everything you've done to to then to rebuild and i think i'm a big fan of cross-functional teams so i i like what you call startup mentality but enterprise ways of working so it's not you can't just do everything. You can't be a generalist, but it's your mindset. You jump in where you think you can help with, right? Like it's the open source mentality or so this idea of not of, of breaking down silos where when you're a small team, you're five people in a room next to your product owner, next to your marketeer or next to your finance, you know, if, if it's a finance model, next to your CFO sometimes, things like that, right? And you want to keep that mentality. So how do you keep those people talking just like you did when you started in the startup? Um, and for me, the way to do that is to align on goals because you're always going to have multiple things going on and you'll want to be able to pivot. And one of the things about scaling is you become very rigid. So we're now doing this project and we're 10 months in and something's come up. So actually, if it's goals based, it's not about what you're doing. It's about how you're doing. Right. Um, and, and the why. The why is extremely important. So if you, if you put these structures in place or you, you start, at least you start. With your highest and you you bring people in who help evolve it um i think that's that's how you maintain that great experience great i think i can add a few things to that that's a great answer um i was gonna touch on a few of those we've experimented actually with uh 10 time uh wednesday afternoon uh, we're experimenting with people just giving the freedom to try a new tech thing or try a new product feature i think this ties into your ownership point we're finding works really well if people are really engaged in the product we're trying to build and interested in trying stuff giving them space uh, to do that I think is so far proving quite powerful and as new technology like this MSW program I mentioned before has come out of that as well as new product features I'm trying to get others other non-engineers involved as well actually um, like the product manager and um, marketing and 
anyone really to try and it's a similar mindset i think we're trying to trying to uh, get people to think about uh, uh, customer focus product speaking to the right people and the sense of uh, doing something exciting themselves um, and so far that's that's working quite well we just have a very simple setup there uh, page in notion where people say what they're working on and when they finish whether that's one afternoon or two months of afternoons every Wednesday they can write a one or two sentence conclusion or tell everyone how it went and whether we should adopt that technology or perhaps uh, turn their experiment into a fully fledged product feature um, I think that's been really really good so far um, and we all get involved which is which is exciting and the other point I made I made a note before actually the other point uh, I thought ties into again what we said uh, before I think is uh, developer tooling is I find very important the last thing you want is slow builds or a very cumbersome PR process where it just demotivates you from um, doing things so I think concentrating uh, on those is very important in fact we uh, we have an epic in Jira called tech debt and we try to every sprint have at least one or two or five or ten points however you do it uh, tech debt tickets just to keep keep that ticking over someone says oh the lint's really slow or the end-to-end tests are slow I can think I can do this I think it's very important to keep that going otherwise it just kind of atrophies and gets worse and everyone just learn everyone kind of uh, yeah, very demotivating. You just have to live with it, but everyone doesn't feel motivated to change it, which is uh, gets worse and worse usually as the code base grows and more and more people start. I think those are my two two main answers. I think over to you. Um, great. You know, that was great, great to hear. And um, I think that you already covered a few of my 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 initial thoughts here. So um but uh, yeah, and that especially like the, you know the the why the why we are doing this. So that's that's we are what we are trying to do, and it's good to hear you know new new approaches on that. Uh, so uh, well, we'll we, how we do it. We'll try to keep the things kind of documented in in the sense that people could kind of catch up quickly in, in whatever they are trying to do, but also to keep that aspect of. of of why we do it and 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 to include additional stuff there like like a little bit of maybe uh, pair programming and mentoring in, in the sense of that because there's lots of uh, people in, in kind of different competence levels there that some are juniors and more, more seniors and more principals leading team and, and so on so to give that sort of a feeling of inclusivity and and, and that we are sharing the, what what we already know effectively and, and and making sure that everyone has access to that that information and I guess that that's well as one one more big word in that that list so so that's like transparency in terms of sharing the information but also being able to contribute to how the team works you know what are our kind of key rules main things that how do we want to develop and also changing those so so it's a continuous process and it's not just given it's something that we create together and so that's that's one of one one of the sources there but yeah uh, another thing is maybe to to give the time and kind of invest on, on that opportunity for the developers to upskill to develop themselves and also maybe giving back to other developers or other ways so it's just not it, well. It would be cool to have like like 100% development all the time, but 
but we'll we'll try to use like uh, maybe seventy percent of development and other other time for other other things, and that of course includes like uh, uh, stuff like HR also. But anyways, mostly upskilling and keeping things kind of uh, fresh, and and also coming back to something that you said earlier that that if the the possibility to try out new things like that experiment experimenting point, yeah. And those being kind of the main things, kind of building up the culture, and then hoping that that will carry us forward and and while while scaling multiple teams, for example. So so then we'll need to kind of have that trust in the developer to to actually carry on being motivated and 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 so on. Uh, yeah, and I guess this is a little bit repeating what you already said, but I also. Kind of believe strongly on the then giving the ownership for the developer and kind of uh, having to trust that they'll 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 produce the best best uh, possible delivery and best best possibly possible uh, code and and so on but uh, those are maybe my 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 few few answers to this question thank you Rami Great question and great answers again, everyone. Um, yeah, our third question is from yourself, Tahir. Yes, um, so it's more about how do you kind of migrate or evolve your existing systems as you grow while still delivering that business growth or that value to your customer? Great, so I think, like, uh, Alex, yes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is a very hard one, as uh, there's always any new systems going down. Atlassian, most recently, I'm not sure what happened there, but um, the few things in my past uh, that I think have helped, um, not this uh, in this role because we have a bit of an earlier stage, but I haven't got to the migration of systems yet. We've only been going a year and a bit. Uh, but in the past, uh, remote feature flags, I think, have been a great tool I've used. This is a product called Split.io, and there's other similar ones where you can use it to turn a feature off and on for a certain cohort or segment of users or exponentially release a certain feature. And if obviously it goes wrong, turn it off again and roll it back. That's been pretty helpful, although it's extra, as introducing a tool like that is always extra management layers of which flags of, uh, you have to deprecate and delete. And there's a whole extra process you have to I think only applicable at a certain scale of um, migration. Other tools, um, again, I mentioned GraphQL, I'm a big fan of GraphQL. I think What's helped us there is no no versioning has been quite good. There's no as well as we're a mono repo actually across the thing. That's been quite helpful for our stage at least. We want to move quickly and without versioning and having to update configs left, right, and center. We just release everything. And in GraphQL, you don't ever uh, delete uh, or change change a query so much as add a new query. So if we change the model, we just add a new query. The new clients get will use the new query, and maybe in a month or two we delete the old query and the old model. So it's more continuous as opposed to uh, discrete versions and having to imagine manage version numbers. So that's helped us on the speed aspect, I suppose, but not so much the, um, uh, yeah, it has its own problems as well. Versions are good in some situations, I think, as well. And the other one, I guess, is the standard one of breaking down the problem. What can we do? Small, um, smaller releases, not Big Bang. Big Bang is a bit like the old waterfall model, never usually goes well. I think trying to break down the new system into a piecemeal set of sprints or um, and doing taking it slowly because you might also not quite know the problem yet until you 
started on the problem so I think a bit like agile I, I think as well it's quite applicable to see how you go try small small steps of it first and slowly scale up I think that's about it all right yeah I, I, I like the idea that we don't use the big bang that much although it worked with the universe but anyways <laughs> there's always that risk involved so that's very good uh I was going to say that uh, yeah well uh, mostly kind of along the lines that you were already talking so you you usually will will have like the old system uh, whatever we migrating from will will have that running along you know in enough time that that it takes to stabilize the new one sometimes it's not possible and sometimes it's also something might go wrong for example when and kind of one one recent example from migrating something like Jira and then that sort of services from on-premise to cloud and that sort of thing. So, so we need to have perhaps enough environments available to test that first and 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 to to fall back into, and uh, and also to kind of uh, test things and then see that all all things fit. So maybe maybe that's one one of um, one of the bigger things there. Uh, when it comes to uh, you know marketing something with the, with the customer uh, and the customer, so we'll we'll usually do it in the same same manner. We'll, we'll try to avoid that that uh, that one instance of, of change and, and do it gradually. Sometimes it's not possible. So so one one um, kind of approach we'll have done um, recently is, is that we'll use APIs um, and then first kind of create that API. And then in the background, we'll we'll make sure that and, and also test the new system so that it will work. So that when we do kind of kind of uh, switch over to the new one, we'll just it will it will only be kind of a tweak in that API endpoint and not kind of a kind of a bigger task or there's not that much to be tested and, and so on. So maybe maybe those two things to to, to mention. Oh, I think you're on mute. I think Michael's on mute. Back to you, Thea. How do you tackle migrating systems while still creating new features for customers? Sorry, it's, it's the aircon behind me. I didn't want it to make a sound. <laughs> <laughs> All good. Um, so I think trying not to repeat what um, the guys have said, um, I, I agree with, with everything said. And, and actually, like, I think it's there's two levels. One, for, in terms of business value, it's it's trying to equate, so starting at the top before coming into the execution, um, it's about how you define business value. And I think one thing that gets lost with the concept of tech debt or, or with tech-led approaches is it's seen as a facilitation rather than adding to business value. So actually, first I think is is changing the conversation. So there, it's it's up there with features, with entering new markets, with revenue generating um, requests. So you can drive business, and and actually the value is more about that, the efficiency, so cost saving or um, speed to iteration, things like that. So uh, and when you've kind of done that, I think it's it is it is about that iterative approach. So. Um, there is a cost implication, but can you do parallel runs? Can you um, migrate 
whether you're doing financial systems, whether you're doing ERPs or operational systems or e-commerce backends, can you migrate uh, a subset of your orders or, or of your user journeys? Um, and again, like if you have an API gateway and you're using feature flagging, then, you know, like you say, can you do um, A-B tests or can you uh, do things like restrictive internal domain to test your workflows so then you can you know, the, the actual switch over is a flick of a switch, the, the rollbacks are easier and all the heavy lifting's been done. Um, like, so you always see the tip of the iceberg as a, as a consumer. And um, so I think there's, there's, a, there's the right infrastructure to be put in place before you start doing transformation projects, actually rather than for your transformation project, because um, if, if, or it becomes a big bang. If you try to do both at the same time, it becomes a big bang. So, you're, um, so I think, it's that combination of, of, of whether it's microservices, whether you have a, a monolith, but actually that ability to filter traffic, that ability to, to manage API requests um, and route them as, as you need to. If you're using third parties, uh, which modules? Are they modular? If they're headless, uh, like then actually you have that um, capability of, of doing it piecemeal. But the bit also as a business, you forget is if you've driven that value, it doesn't end there. The idea of iterative delivery is you do as much as you can upfront, but you do a payback, you do continue. So this idea of a launch is where it ends, is thrown out the window with this type of approach. It's, it's actually where you start. And then you need to make sure you have that, that idea of how you piecemeal the features for the customers um, while doing transformation. I mean, um, being D2C, I could use examples of how we use email um, campaigns and email um, uh, campaign management software. We did an e-com uh, backend transformation where we um, moved away from Shopify to commerce tools. So we, we would have more of that headless approach. This was two years ago. So before um, Shopify um, headless um, implementation came out and uh, we moved a subset of orders or subset of um, channels. And then we, you know, we did consumer management outside of it and now inside of it. So like it's that idea of how do you drive that iterative value. Uh, I can go on forever on this, so I'll stop uh, there. Nice one, guys. Uh, really enjoyed the questions today. Have, has anyone got any further questions? I know there's a couple in prep that you sort of wanted to put to the team, each of you. Um, anything else you wanted to find out? Well, coming back to this, this uh, last one, so just, just to, to say that it's really interesting what you said, both, both of you, especially Tahar, when, when you were talking about that that value and you know business value and and all the modules and environments. So as I start to say that, have have you also used kind of a kind of instance or ad, ad hoc kind of environments in the in those those migrations? Um. More in actually a, a larger business than we are right now uh, in a previous role we did where we actually created a, a framework where all test environments were actually spun up ad hoc. So you'd make a request and it was, it was um, done through um, lambdas, it was done through uh, developer calls so you, and you could actually run a component or if you could do your, your subset or, um, with your mocked up framework that we had implemented across them. And so you could easily test each of the uh, microservices, or you could test a journey, or you could test things like that, and and you would not need to have long-running versions, but also then you could do parallel runs across different teams and things like that. Of course, um, 
it, it, GraphQL makes that easier because exactly like the management of versioning and the management of um, the different orchestration layers make that difficult if you have if you don't ever manage your versions well or if you don't do versioning at all. But um, the the other side of that is we do canary launches. Um, we have the idea of you know blue green or a um, and we we have a platform team that are actually really manage the evolution of those. So we we migrate across instances and move um, like our not the hosting, but I guess even regions every now and then seamlessly. So um, the engineering teams, um, I mean, if you have DevX or if you have DevOps, it's slightly different, but um, our, and, and the users are oblivious to it. But, but we, that's a muscle memory you want to keep on doing. So that way, when something does go down or region, which has happened to me, I've had a region in AWS go down on me where their load balances in Germany just went down. <laughs> um, and, and you know, you need to have that very quick muscle memory, but also it helps you manage costs if you if if you if you get used to doing it well. So if you're not used to it, you your your AWS account, whatever you think, the cost management can skyrocket if you're not careful. I had a question on, on similar to that actually um, for both of you. We've been toying something I've been meaning to do in previous roles as well. I I love to get features out quick and get everyone involved in um, new feature, and we're toying with deploying every single PR uh, to a span up. Uh, it's a monorepo whole spun up system. I think that could be really powerful, but it's a lot of work. And I was wondering if you have you, have you taken the plunge to get all the mock data and spin up that kind of uh, fake system? Because the secondary aspect, as well as anyone can test that PR, whether it's marketing or anyone, I think that's really powerful. The other one is also you can run your end-to-end -end tests before they merge to main. And uh, I, I'm a big fan of end-to-end -end tests just to help have a safety net and often try and write yeah. quite a few of them versus and less unit tests because I think it's, it's a much more powerful uh, and uh, test. I did any, any of you taken the plunge to do that? We've, we've done something similar. I wouldn't say 100% there, but actually um, as soon as you merge a PR, so if you, um, like you say, actually the, par the, the PR process is really important. So uh, first uh, getting that drilled down, but if you have a good PR process, for us, as soon as you merge the PR, it goes through our pipeline and it gets pushed to our um, uh, dev and stage. We actually recently got rid of dev. We're toying with just having a stage and having dev there as a ad hoc upon request spin up um, environment. So we have that faster pipeline to production. Um, so what we've got is we've got a whole host. I'm paying sig significantly more now than I did six months ago on Cypress. So we've got a whole host of end-to-end um, -end, um tests that run, we're, we're working on how to speed it up. It takes, mm -hmm. that's the problem. It takes between half an hour to an hour, depending on what you're doing now. So we've got a project in place to look at how we can take that down to the 15 minute, 20 minute mark. Um, if not faster, again, um, also how you decide on the, the, the set of tests, like not everything requires a full feature led um, uh, test. So, uh, but we, we do that to stage. It's controlled to production, so we don't go all the way to prod yet. Um, but it's working quite well. It's uh, there were a lot of issues with development behaviors that need to change, and um, over reliance on QAs. We have QAs, but we have full stack. We call them like, you know everyone's full stack, and everyone is supposed to wear multiple hats. And it's actually the in our world, uh, we operate kind of it's 
it's not a mono repo such, but we have a, a internal open source mentality. So anyone can um, PR to any code um, and anyone can touch any repo if it's relevant to what they're doing as a team goal. So there's no teams that own a repo as such. Again, that took a mind shift switch, which we're still kind of working on in some areas, especially on the onboarding. Um, and, and so we heavily now rely on this pipeline and we're investing a lot on it, but it's, it's working, it's working well. Like actually the rate of incidents or downtime hasn't spiked. And, um, the, when we have had something go wrong, the, the speed of recovery has actually improved. Uh, we, to supplement it, we have this idea of on call. So every team and we have a incident manager and it like, uh, and, and actually anything identified in prod or anything that impacts the pipeline suddenly, uh, when it's pushed to prod, um, this, this, this lead, dev, um, well, incident lead can pull on any nominate, each team nominates this nominate group of people and they're empowered to drop everything and just work together to fix an issue rather than which team does a lion, who owns this, who wrote that piece of code, you know? <laughs> So that's what we've got. It's working. I mean, there's teething issues, but it's actually working quite well for us. Yeah, really like the you know the collaboration, you know, point of view there. So that's something to test, I guess. You know, currently we usually use just kind of uh, environments we already have. You know, we spin up those environments, but we, but where we are going right now, soon to have will be those uh, instance environments. So when you are actually merging, you'll have a new environment for, for example, for a container, and you just run that uh, as long as you need to test it automatically. And if you do need some manual testing, you'll do that, and then you'll spin it off. And then you'll go for the actual uh, staging and production environments. So that's the, and that's kind of a cool feature available, for example, in, in GitLab to use the runner to actually, you know, run the, the, Terraform code to actually create the environment and so on, but that that actually once once that's operational, it should be quite effective and and well also cost effective in, in the sense that it's it's uh, it's only available that short time. And then in thinking about the environments, there's always kind of enough environments for multiple projects, even inside one team. Multiple things can be tested kind of without without them affecting each other. Sometimes that's not a good thing, but anyways, that's one example. Yeah. Nice one, gentlemen. Yeah. So has anyone got any final points or anything you wanted to add or, or shall, shall we leave it there? I, I, I get the feeling um, no, we could we could talk all day to be fair <laughs> on, on the key different topics around this one. Um, but yeah, it's been, been an absolute pleasure so far. We, we will leave it there. The key things I took from the conversation, um, different technologies and how they're instrumental in scaling, how we enable and maintain great developer experience whilst growing fast, um, tackling migration systems whilst creating new features for customers. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Alex, Rami and Taya for providing their insights into the topic. And thank you for listening at home or in work. If you'd like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, please reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at michael.sullivan at evolution-contract.co.uk. Cheers, speak soon.